Welcome to Bold Talk Radio. I am your host, Pat Williams. Well, guys, it is Christmas Eve. So thank you guys so much for tuning in and joining me this evening. Hope you guys are doing great. It's the night before Christmas, so hopefully you've got all your toys, all your shopping out of the way, all you ladies out there like me who have to start doing the cooking, and even some of you fellas. I don't want to sound sexist with that, but hopefully you guys are enjoying. Well, listen, we have with us, and sadly enough to say for the final, well, we won't say the final time, we'll just say for the final time concerning this series, we have with us author Robert A. St. Thomas. Now, if you guys have been keeping up with us, you know that Robert has graced us with his presence discussing his new book, Riddle of Oz. So with that, let me give the formal introduction. Robert, thank you so much for joining me on this Christmas Eve. Thank you very much for having me on the show again, Pat. Uh, Merry Christmas to you, too. Thank you. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you and yours. So listen, Robert, let's just jump right into it because, you know, we, we've had an opportunity to cover some really uh, great topics that you deal with in your book. And we want our listeners uh, to go back and listen to episodes one through four so they can get a better grasp of your book and, and so many of the aspects of what you're discussing in Riddle of Oz. But where we left off, we, we kind of wrapped it up talking about some of the themes. We talked about police brutality and racial profiling. And we talked about, um, you know, actually, you know, the politics uh, that goes into that. We also discussed at length uh, mass immigration. So these were just a few topics that we covered in some of the last four sessions. We even dealt with some very deep psychological uh uh, intellectual aspects such as Freudian, you dealt with the, you know, super ego, ego and the id. But one thing that your book talks about, and as we've been discussing, your book is broken down in several phases. And in a couple of the phases of your book, you address uh, women, because as you mentioned, when we first started this discussion, when I said, hey, Robert, you know, who is this book addressed to? And you said, Pat, this book is primarily for black men and white Christian conservative males. But like you said with said to me, a woman can read this book and also enjoy it. But I notice on some of the phases that you're talking, and I'm just going to refer to it uh, if you don't mind. Um, and I'll go back and read just a couple of aspects. In phase five, you're dealing with greed because you broke those phases down as the seven deadly sins. So I'll pick it up from here. You says the paradigm, quote, the paradigm shift in America from patriarchal to matriarchal influence is escalating. And then you also, uh, let's see here in another phase, and I'm just trying to locate that as I skim here, and this actually in phase six, which is under sloth, you say here, quote, in America, women are no longer viewed as loving hearts in the home, but cold-blooded assassins with a license, put in parentheses, rights to murder the most helpless and innocent. Let's stop right there, Robert. Can you address what you're saying in both of these phases uh, about how women now are perceived uh, in this ever-shifting, ever-changing American society and culture in which we live. Yeah, uh, it's uh, pretty clear to me there is a shift from um, patriarchal society to a strong matriarchal influence. Um, the uh, 
thinking that uh, as our society has uh, gone away from our Christian values, there is a verse in Genesis that uh, kind of lays it out in Genesis chapter three sixteen, where God basically is informing Eve and all females that in pain you shall bring forth children, and mm-hmm. your desire shall your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, mm-hmm. uh, when I was coming through college, uh, we were, uh, women were, how to say, not, we uh, <laughs> weren't accepting that. We weren't accepting that. They, they were rebelling against the idea that a wife should be uh, submissive to a husband and basically guided by her husband to, as a married woman until she dies. But uh, it's, uh, that's been challenged, and the, the, the assertive female is showing up where she's going against the wisdom of the Bible and feels that she could compete uh, with a man or be some version of a man and uh, not be considered some slave to a man. And uh, in this, like, in this era where we're getting away from our our conservative Christian values and wisdom of the Bible, we're now we're we're becoming more of a, I like to think more emotional as a nation as opposed to more logical uh, with the uh, influence of uh, this more maternal influence on our society. So that's where coming from. But this this. The other manifestation. Well, Robert, before you get into the other manifestation, you said a lot right there. Let me let me kind of jump in and, and say some stuff, because I'm pretty sure some of the <laughs> our female listeners are probably splitting their wig right now, hearing some of the things that you're saying, uh, <laughs> just to be completely honest. Uh, but let's go back to something you just said moments ago uh, when you were mentioning. And, and I should say this for our listeners. Um that you start the book out in, in, from, in 1969. So I do want to address that, which is the reason why you refer to uh, when you were coming up and when you were in school and you were in college and, and that sort of stuff and during the you know few decades back in the 60s. Um, and we know that things were shifting then. And what you mentioned uh, was the scripture reference uh, in Genesis. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone is familiar with that, uh, regard, regardless whether or not they're Christian uh, or, or whatever. But you mentioned how the Bible talks about, you know, the wife being obviously submitted and the husband having rule over. But one word that you mentioned uh, was when you said, listen, you know, when I was coming up, those things were changing and, you know, women were starting to rebel against that. Let me ask you a question. And, and I'm going to I'm going to make a statement. Then I'll get into the question because it's actually kind of twofolded. Now, I'm saying this and truly I'm trying to be as objective as I can be being a woman myself. I've talked to women, other women. And I've, you know, done segments like this, not on our podcast show, but I probably will in the future, but just in other forums. And one of the things, one of the issues that a lot of women will address in these other forums is that most women that I have been surprised to hear say, I don't have a problem submitting to my husband. I don't have a problem, you know, coming in under his authority. But when they say that, the next step, usually in that discussion, now I'll be honest, some women say, I'll never do it, but you'll be pleasantly surprised to know, Robert, as a man and all you guys out there listening, most women that I've talked to 
have said they don't have a problem uh, being submitted and, and, and supportive and, and that sort of thing with a husband. But what they will tie into that is that, but it's what is he doing? Is he leading me? Is he effectively guiding me? Is he being loving in that? Is he being um, uh, respectful with his leadership? Is he also willing to, you know, take into account what I can bring to that? I think that Robert is probably what most women grapple with. Not so much the leadership, being a man and writing the book from the perspective that you have, how would you address ladies who have that position where they're not anti-submission? They're just saying, listen, you know, not all guys are going to be nicey, nicey, good, good guy husbands. And some of these guys, they're, they're not doing a good job at their leadership. What do you say to that? Yeah. Excellent question. Excellent question. Let's see if I can um, put it all together and make it make sense. I do believe, I do believe that a purpose of a godly man, keyword godly man, mm -hmm. remember in our last session, he has four functions. He needs to be a provider, protector, mm -hmm. a promoter, and a paladin. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the promoter part is what I think the, the, your friends are talking about here. I believe that a godly man's purpose in a woman's life is to elevate her. Okay? I believe that's what his sole function is, to elevate her, to lead her towards her ideal self. Mm-hmm. The, the an ungodly man enters a woman's life, and he tends to demean her, depress her, cause her to descend, okay? I think that's what, I think, I'm, I'm, I'm gathering that the, the women that you've talked to probably have strong Christian backgrounds, and one of the problems with a man that basically knows himself, knows his purpose, doing those, like those four things we're talking about, and he comes into, into her life to make her better. In other words, his love makes her better. I don't think she has a problem with that because he is leading her to a place where she wants to be. Mm -hmm. What I believe is what occurred in the 60s is that we talked about the phenomena of cultural Marxism. We said that classic Marxism, this economic-based system, had to have a cause. The cause was to go after the bourgeois because they had the wealth, and if you got the wealth, it was distributed, everybody was going to be happy. And we said that classic Marxism did not work. And if you recall uh, what we were talking about in the book, the, the behavioral scientists and the Marxists scratched their heads. They came up with strategies. Hey, in order for Marxism to work, we have to sort of disguise it, you know, in different forms. And they called it cultural Marxism because they needed to go after a different, well, put it this way, neo-proletarian. Okay, new victim. Mm -hmm. So, one group that they started was the female. <laughs> and they were the females, and the, the strategy behind uh, the folks of Marxism, Marxism is to do the classic divide and conquer uh, uh, tactic to, to, to make a person a victim feel that they are oppressed and that there would be. Uh, loss of cohesion with a bond that, say, a man and a woman might have, whereas the female would 
now see the male as a, you know, a, an adversary as opposed to a lover or husband. Well, Robert, like can I just jump in and speak to that? Now, you said something that just, it's ringing off like a bell in my head. Uh, and I get what you're saying about the, you know, the cultural and social Marxism. Um, and, you know, and, and when you're dealing with that aspect, but one thing that you just said, and I mean, it just, it just triggered my thought, uh, is when you said that part of that cultural Marxism is to make people feel, um, as a, vi- as, you know, feel oppressed. That was the exact word you say to quote you, uh, and not take your words out of term. Um, but here's something that I notice, and, and I want you to kind of address this. And we'll certainly, you know, we're going to keep dealing with the women aspect of it. Do you really think, and before you answer, let me just, because it's kind of a loaded question. Do you really feel that anyone, whether it's cultural Marxism or anything, do you feel that someone can make another person feel oppressed? Now, before you answer that, let me kind of lace that question with this. The funny thing about oppression, because I've heard, I mean, I'm just be honest with you. I've heard uh, whites and black people argue this kind of debate on social media. And sometimes you'll hear, you know, sometimes white people will say, well, black people, you feel oppressed or, you know, sometimes, sometimes black people reverse it and tell white people, well, you feel oppressed or men will tell women, you feel (laughs) oppressed Uh, and vice versa. You know, women will tell me, and you feel oppressed because I think oppression is something that everyone can feel. But I think what connects oppression to a person is not really what they feel. Oppression has to come from a real place that you can put your finger on it. And I think sometimes um, when a person is not in the power seat of a thing. So we'll use, let's say, culturally speaking, what we're talking about tonight, men. Men, by and large, you know, now you can start parsing through different cultures of men, but males in general are in the power seat. So I think it's kind of easy to say, well, women, you feel oppressed, but is it, you can't feel something unless it's actually there. How would you address that issue? Because, you know, there's a lot of women who say, well, no, I don't feel oppressed. I had a boyfriend who knocked me upside my head or I had a husband who condescended and was verbally abusive. You know, I had a boss who sexually harassed me. I had a coworker who, you know, over sexualized me. So these are not coming from feelings because feelings are emotions, but they're coming from real tangible places. How would you address that aspect of a person, a person feeling oppressed versus real time oppression happening to a person. Do you think women are real-time oppressed? Uh, no, I don't. Mm. No, I don't. Uh, mm. I don't feel there at all, I think, again. Well, well, do you think that that's, do, but do you think then that's somewhat disconnected? Because how could you know unless you were a woman? I mean, I'll, I'll say this off the record and our audience can hear it. Robert, honestly, I'm a lady who just kind of let stuff rolls off, off my shoulder. I grew up with a house full of boys, big brothers. So I kind of grew up like a tomboy and kind of tough. And my dad made me kind of a tough chick out here. So it didn't, a lot of stuff didn't bother me, but I'll be honest with you. Uh, and I, I, I actually did a Facebook live about this almost a year and a half ago when the Me Too movement was in just an uproar. And I actually sat there and I remember saying something to, um, to people who were watching me on Facebook Live. I said, listen, I said, if I wanted to be really honest, could I say hashtag Me Too? 
I could. I said, I've had instances where I had bosses. One boss in particular, we were in an elevator. We were on our way up to a meeting and this man literally reached for my breast. And the only difference was instead of me kind of crying over spilt milk about it to human resources, I grabbed the guy and I smacked his hands and I said, listen here, you, no, 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 no. You know, I didn't, a lot of Christian words didn't come out of my mouth at that moment, but I says, listen, you know, if you ever do that again, I'll mm, 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 myself all by myself in this mm, 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 elevator. By the time the elevator doors open, his face was, I mean, like blood orange red. And that was the end of it. But what I thought about was, wow, what if I wasn't the kind of female who grew up in a house full of guys and a house with a dad and these guys saying, hey, don't let no guy put you around. My dad and my brothers were like that. But what about a woman who didn't come up that way? So what I have then not known what to do and not know how to put this. So what basically my point is for a guy to say, well, you, you, Pat, you felt that way. No, I didn't feel that way. My, my former boss did that to me. So do you feel that this is somewhat of the disconnect and that feeds the disconnect that men sometimes can't empathize with women? Because as a man, you can't know what it's like for a boss to want to grab and reach your breast. You don't have breast. But do you, do, do you know what I'm saying? So do you, do, you, do you understand what I'm getting at that? Is that the cultural Marxism really wouldn't have a place to go. If there weren't some guys, Robert, I think you're probably the best guy out there. And there's other guys who are great guys. This is not an attack on me. And I think most men are pretty rock and cool and pretty awesome. But you always have the creeps out there, like my former boss, that actually feeds. It's like throwing logs into a fire. They feed and breed that sentiment that the cultural Marxism can capitalize on. Do you understand where I'm going with that? Yeah, I give you they, I'm them a reason to... Uh, to uh, Because you're not a female, right? Because you're not a female. material things, Robert. And I think well, we need to be able to, something, yeah. Yeah, but that's material so things I, though, Robert, versus someone saying, oh, well, no lady, you're not oppressed, but she's knowing, Hey, some guy just pinched my booty. Some guy just didn't pay me the same for the same job I'm doing next to my male coworker. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I think because sometimes <laughs> men don't have those experiences. It's just like I would say, you know, uh, talking about, let's say, the, the, the white community uh, or, or the straight community. I, me being a heterosexual woman, I may say, what are these gay people upset about? What is LGBT kids about? Just live life. But again, I'm not a lesbian woman. I'm not a gay person. So I, 
I can't pretend that I know what they're going through, but I can at least be what they call an empath. I can have empathy to understanding, hey, maybe they're not just in their own imagination or as the kids say, in their feelings about it. Maybe these people are experiencing something. You know, I can't just say that men don't have their own oppressions. I'm not a man. And I don't think, I mean, I've heard women say guys have it easy. I've never been the woman to say men have it easy. I don't know what you guys, I'm sure being a male has all types of ups and downs and, and oppression with it. Do yeah. you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We, we have our days, we have our days too, but um, uh, I, I guess, I guess to me like oppression is like, again, like this political tool to, 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 to form some sort of conflict where we have a divide and conquer situation going on. And then that may be a better term for that, that, that we want to use. But I oppression is the, is the political term in order to manipulate someone into your way of thinking, okay? Um, um, somebody pitched you on your behind when this going to steal all of the press to you, but I, I might be actually trying to flatter you. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, but see, but let uh, me tell you something, Robert, and, but I can see that coming from you being a heterosexual man, but I can tell you being a heterosexual woman, I mean, men look at sex and at sexuality different. I'm glad we're having this conversation. Um, you know, whereas a guy may figure, hey, I'm complimenting you. I think you're hot. Boom, let me smack you on your butt. But you have to think about it from the most human aspect of it is that guess what? If I'm at work or I'm walking down the street or I'm, I'm you know, working as a waitress at a restaurant or I'm just just doing living life. And unless I know you and unless I have an intimacy in a relationship with you and have a consensuality with you. You, 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 it's not within your right or in your realm to touch my person. So this is why I'm saying, Robert, is this. I think going back to your book about the cultural Marxism. See, here's what I believe. What I believe is and when you're dealing with that, I believe that guess what? When, when, okay, I'll just put it this way. You've got black militancy, right? And I know you're not necessarily dealing with that in the book, but I want to just throw this on the table. I've always thought the black militancy would have no home with some black people if black people were not in some cases, not all, but in some cases haven't experienced racism. I feel that feminism, okay, could not have a place with more, with most women who get involved with that. Cause I'm not a feminist. I, I, I'm, I'm not into that, but I, uh, cause I disagree with some of, some of their foundational aspects um, and, and values, but here's the deal. I always look at, you know, what attracts a person? Because see, again, I don't think, pe I think people are more savvier than just saying, hey, well, maybe you don't have the best car in the world. Well, that's what we have commercials for, Robert. Okay, a, a commercial may tell me, hey, guess what? You're really hungry. You need to go and get a Big Mac. Or guess what? Your, your current car sucks. You need to go out and get a, you know, an Alfa Romero. Great. That's fine. But I don't think people are as naive not to understand. You can't make me feel racially oppressed. You can't make me feel sexually oppressed. You can't make me feel gender oppression. You can't make me feel economically depressed because guess why? I can only gravitate to that message if I have a real time, hands on, tangible experience that will connect me to that message. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Uh, I, I, I agree that you, 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 you have an experience. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I get that. I get that. But, but something uh, has mm -hmm. occurred. Mm -hmm. Something has occurred where females want to 
uh, not all females, we're talking about maybe an influential group of um, malcontents. Something, something has turned them from, I would say, a natural order of things, stretching out to do something a little bit different, you know, mm-hmm. to unhappy being when they're unhappy, um, uh, being under a man or, or common wherever they, they feel like they are slaves to men. That's how stuff. And again, I, to me, I, I understand what you're saying about you don't know unless you are a, um, a female, but I'm just wondering if this is also not a projection of something onto me as a man uh, when I'm not really doing anything. In other words, you know, I guess somebody put something in your head. I'm not talking about you, but somebody put something in your head that you, you feel like your, your status, your self esteem has been. But that's in a relationship. What about in the case I gave you with my boss? I certainly wasn't involved with my boss. So, and, and yeah, it's well, that yeah. stuff, Robert. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, it's yeah. that stuff that breeds yeah. that yeah. other that's stuff arrogant. you're talking about. Yeah, that's arrogant. And, and quite frankly, we saw, you, you had a minor, you had a minor experience. Well, that no, it I'm wasn't calling, minor. I'm, See, Robert, that's what I'm, I'm trying to get you. I'm going to call it Thomas mm-hmm. Jefferson. He thought, because what I made, made it plain, Robert, see, and I agree with you, so so he thought, because I made it plain, I was that kind of black woman, I was going to lose that job right in the elevator, because I was going to knock the living you-know-what out of him, and and that's why I didn't, honestly, uh, only until the Me Too thing kind of came for it, I hadn't even thought about it, because actually I laugh about it, because I mean, it was going to go down for real, I was going to literally smash that guy uh, into the elevator. I mean, I had zero fear about it. But then, like I said, when, when that Me Too thing really kind of hit its, you know, its peak, you know, early last year in early 2017, almost two years ago, is that's when it dawned on me, like, you know what? I didn't take it as, you know, someone being abusive and, oh my God, I'm scared of men. I didn't take it that way. But I thought about what if I was the type of woman who didn't come up in the way that I did? What if I didn't have a dad who gave me self-defense and taught me how to box? What if I didn't have, you know, three older brothers who were just as, you know, I mean, these guys in so many ways, they were so rough. You know how it is being a boy. I mean, they would wrestle me like I was one of the guys. So I thought about that. What if I was a woman who had came up in another way where I didn't get some of that masculinity and testosterone kind of experience in my life. I would have, I, I know for a fact I would have been more vulnerable 
to this guy's evil machinations. So the reason why I'm saying that, Robert, and I don't want to browbeat this because we do want to get over into another subject, but I think what, uh, let me put it this way. I think what's happening, and I know you're coming from a good place, but I think a lot of times people can't relate to something that they can't relate to. I don't expect a white person to relate to my experience as a, as a black Negro woman. They can't. It doesn't mean that they're a bad person. It doesn't mean that they're evil and they're out to get me, but they can't relate to that. I can't expect you as a man to relate to me because you're not a woman. You can't do it. But the only thing that I would encourage anyone to do is that even if you can't relate to someone's pain or experience or situation, at least have the empathy to go along with the fact that, hey, I can't relate to you. But if what you're telling me is what you've what, what you've what you say you've experienced, then I have to at least show a little humility and then say, hey, I don't know that experience, but I empathize with you in that experience. And I think sometimes, Robert, when men think, oh, hey, it's just something in her head. You know what, what's going on? Oh, these ladies are feeling this. I, I think right there that feeds into the narrative that the social like you said, the, the, the Marxist kind of thing that feeds into the very thing that you're saying that you want to expose and want to kind of quell that momentum. That's all I'm saying on that. And there we go. I agree. I would agree. I would agree. I would agree. So let's, let's go to the part where we're talking about now. You really delve into about abortion. Now that's, that's also a hot but, button um, issue there. Uh, and, you know, I'll just go right to the part uh, where you mentioned that you says, listen, uh, in America, women are no longer viewed as loving hearts in the home, but cold blooded assassins with a license, parentheses rights uh, to murder the most helpless and innocent. I mean, really, you have to get into this, Robert, and tell and just really get into what do you mean by, first of all, uh, in America, where women are no longer viewed as loving hearts, but as cold-blooded assassins. Those are some pretty heavy words. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I was looking at uh, when uh, President Trump had won his uh, election, and I noticed this movement uh, with the women with the, um, the hats, the pink hats, the pussy hat movement, that type of thing, and the sort of attitude that they had towards their right to terminate the, you know, the life of the most innocent and vulnerable, which is the fetus. And as a kid coming up, looking at my mother, grandmother, aunt, people in my community, that I, I, I couldn't couldn't relate to those women. I couldn't give them empathy, the, the women I saw on TV, because I was thinking, my goodness, how could you be so cold and cruel to, you know, um, a, 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 a conception? And, and not, and, 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 and basically parade about the street and poof that, you know, I would do it again without remorse as an abortion. I, I thought that it was very, very, very uh, cold. I thought it was very foreign to talk to women that I grew up around and the women I grew up in in my type of community. I just, I thought that was very, it's very strange, very foreign, very foreign to me. Um, I I still haven't walked up to that. So, but what has tend to happen is that we now have uh, kind of a 
situational ethics makes it okay to leave these, these, these women alone. And I, I see it as, I mean, it's a debatable subject. They'll say it's my right in order to terminate another person's body and my body. You know, but I see it as a situation where you have, you don't want to take responsibility mm-hmm. for, you know, a, how do you say, like a careless sex act. To me, in this day of age, I don't think, I mean, it happens, but in this day of age, I can't see how a woman could get pregnant if she really wants to avoid it. I mean, we have um, condoms, birth control, IUD, foam, you know, coitus is erupted. I mean, you name it. <laughs> okay. I like that. See that you're responsible. That, that goes for the male, too. I mean, he bears some responsibility to also, but point of it is the woman will be caught with the bag. So mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. on her protecting herself. Uh, because, you know, in, in most relationships, she's going to be caught with the bag. Whether it, she's going to be one with the greater heartbreak if they break up. But she gets pregnant. She, he, 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 you know, he's either going to be there or leave her. If she has an abortion, she's probably going to be doing that. So she's the one that's going to have to bear most of the mm-hmm. emotional burden. Mm-hmm. So, and the physical yeah, burden, yeah. as you say, even the physical burden of, of, of that, the physical fallout of that as well. Like you said, whether she That's, keeps the baby or abort the baby, she's dealing with all of, like you said, both emotional and physical aspects of that. But but, but go ahead, Robert, I didn't mean to cut you off. Anyway, but all I'm saying is that in 2018, if you want to be sexual, and since people come out with so much stuff anyway, and then come to me or go to another doctor and we'll, we'll, we'll get you your birth control pills. We'll even use a backup plan for you. And you can have as much sex as you want, but there's no reason why you should be bringing a child into the world that you're not prepared to take care of right now. Mm-hmm. You know, the alternative is so brutal and cold and calculating, whereas you you enter, you know, like I said, into a sexual situation now you don't want it, and now the easiest thing you want to do, to have done, is I, I want to rid it out of my body because it's my right. Okay, so we, we, we play that right game where, well, okay, it's the right, so who's to say what's right, or let it go do her thing, it's her body, so on and so forth, to, to relieve her of the responsibility mm-hmm. that, that uh, she should have she really taken care of before she got pregnant. Again, the, body, the guy is... There's a burden of that, too. I mean, there, there's things called condoms, things like that, that he could have done in, in, to prevent that. Let's again, the onus or the most of the burden falls on the female about this. Mm-hmm. So it falls on her. Well, Robert, right. Let me just jump in and say that because and I think a better term maybe that we could use as opposed to burden. Let's just call it even a little bit more. I I believe closer to home. She's going to catch the brunt mostly of the consequences, because I think most of us would agree that, you know, having a child, you really wouldn't want to consider having a child a burden or, God forbid, aborting a child as as burdensome. But I think I know exactly what you're saying. I think the better term is the consequences. And I I agree with you hands down on that. Uh, You know, when it comes to sex, uh, women definitely are going to see more of the the consequence of what that would mean only because she is the bearer of the uh, of, of the of the seed and she carries the child in her womb. But let me put a question to you, Robert. And I think this question is it's pretty maybe explosive. 
Now, like I said, I'm not a woman who personally uh, uh, subscribe to uh, feminism. I, matter of fact, I really, I'm just, I'm not. I mean, if other women want to do it, God bless them. That's just not my bag. I, I don't agree with a lot of the things that that includes. Um, because while, while I do believe that feminism has some positive aspects to it, I feel that it's also coupled with a lot of negative aspects. And namely so, I feel there's that aspect of feminism that's anti-male. And I, I think that women can come to a place where we can argue the issues of, as you and I talked about moments ago, the issues of men having empathy, uh, the issues of fair a fair pay in a workplace. I believe you can, you know, argue those issues with men respectfully and persuasively without this other side of, well, hey, you know, men suck. I don't believe in that aspect. And and that's what really kind of makes me say, no, I can't get involved with, with that um, political um, ideology. However, here's my question to you. I have, <laughs> I've heard uh, women say, well, listen, abortion, uh, why abortion, the ability to, as they say, um, have the, uh, the right, as you mentioned, rights, uh, to determine, um, their own bodies and, you know, the right to have an abortion. Some of the women, and these are feminist women that I have talked to over the years, uh, they'll say, well, listen, you know, why can't a woman have the right, uh, to determine her ability to have a child or her ability to want to raise a child just as much as a man can. And, and so my question to you is, do you think Robert that, you know, in 1973, when Roe versus Wade, when that was passed as constitutional um, law, do you think that that came about because women were looking at the aspect of, well, Hey, a guy gets to, you know, can we be grown in a little bit, of, a little bit, a little bit uh, brash here? Men get to shake it off, wipe it off and walk away if they want to. Why can't I also have the ability to say, I don't want to deal with it. Get it out of my body. Do you believe that that is some of the reasoning behind many women believing that she has the right uh, to determine if a child comes forth from her body? What, what would you say to that? mentality. Uh, and there's a lot of women who have that mentality, Robert, I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I still think it goes back to, uh, uh, the, the, uh, how do you say the, our, our society becoming more and more and more Marxist where we basically do not, we're losing empathy for the individual. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what, once we deal, once our conscience starts convicting us, then what we do is we look for convenient avenues in order to jettison that the conviction of our conscience. Uh, as we mentioned the other time, when you when you deal with guilt, guilt comes out in one of four ways. Uh, one way is introspection, where you basically look at yourself and you, you're supposed to respond to guilt and say, okay, uh, I, I won't have the abortion, such and such. But if you're around a group of people that encourage you, hey, you know, uh, it's your body, you know, you're not ready for it, blah, 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 then you, you still have that guilt, but now you have to sort of play with it in a different way, and now you want to project those out onto other people and make them feel guilty about your guilt, okay? Um, so what I'm saying is that 
I believe, I believe there's an aspect of I, I should have control over my um, my destiny, let's say. But I'm, I'm also believing that uh, the person who has who, who is in that type of situation is looking for they're, they're looking for some justification that they don't appear to be a bad person. Okay, to 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 take to take a, a fetus's life. Uh, they don't want to be seen as a bad person. Okay, and I mean they'll come up with any any justification to prove they're not a bad person. Well, he's not a real person. I don't know what it is. Right, but Robert, I, I, that's another aspect of it when they're, you know, saying, oh, it's a fetus. Uh, I, I'm not really getting into that aspect, and I, I don't want you to miss what I threw at you. What I was really hoping that you would catch is that a lot of these women are tying in their pro-choice beliefs into the fact of what men have the ability to do. And before you answer this, let me throw something else at you as well. You know, I believe in the Bible. I do on a personal level. I do. And I always think about how women are a reflection of the male. Right. And so I think here's the downside. This is just me speculating and and being very speculative and, and, uh, you know, presumptuous. I believe that what sometimes men may not understand that women, we're more psychologically tuned in with you guys than what you guys may or may not think. And the reason why I say that is uh, being a woman myself and talking to women, I have some of my worst arguments in debates and battles with women. But one of the reasons why is because I've got a different perspective, but a lot of women, they'll look exactly at what the guy is doing. They'll say, well, hey, if guys can do it, why can't we? If he's being a jerk, why can't I be a jerkette? If he's being a pimp, why can't I be a pimpress? Great insight. That kind of goes back to uh, what I had said earlier about the type of man that comes into a woman's life. Great insight. I said that the, 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 the ideal man is the guy that does those four things we talked about and but, elevate. But how many of those guys are out there in real time? This is my point. That's the problem. That's the that we've been talking about through, through these five, uh, five episodes. Mm-hmm. If you, Men have lost standards, okay? And again, it's all part of this, this communization of our country has lost standards, this uh, ideal standards. And, you're, I, and I like that you said it's true. I, actually, I never thought about that before. Like I said that a, a woman will be essentially like a reflection of the guy that she's with. Okay. Well, not even just necessarily a guy that she's with, because the reason why I say that, Robert, I get where you're saying where a woman is tied in directly to a guy. But you you got to understand about women. A lot of women, they're not even looking at the guy they may personally be tied into personally may may be with may be a great guy. But women, I don't know if guys do this, but I, I know a lot of women do. They are not even necessarily dealing with the guy they may be in a direct relationship. They're looking at what men are doing on a grand scale. And that's what I think men may not know uh, at a great length about women. Sometimes it's not just the guy that they're dealing with. They're looking at what men are doing. It's like children look at what the parents are doing. Women look at what the men are doing. Break down down a society type thing again. Yeah, break down a society. I I like what you said earlier about the standards that you developed. As like you said, as a, as a tough little sister growing up, you probably had an outstanding father. Yes, you probably had an outstanding set of brothers who basically taught you well. You know, it's pretty 
about mm-hmm. you. Your dad wrote your life because he's probably a man of high moral, moral Very moral much so. Yes, very much so. But I, I hear what you're saying. If society breaks down where men don't have, say, like, respect for themselves, the daughters are going to have respect for uh, a female, okay? Because they don't have, they, they've lost the standards that they're supposed to ascribe to. You talk over and over again about approaching this ideal self, okay? And, and what is the responsibility of a man to himself, his wife, his wife, his children, and to others, he should be at, he should be at the highest of all standards. But if those standards are broken down and we don't have others living up to it, you're right, then then this community will basically, like you say, uh, everybody will look like each other. If there's, not a, if there's not a really good set of standards that people are, try, are, are trying to strive for. Uh, in the beginning of my book, let's put this way, I, I had said that all men have unseen eyes on them, and they should all strive to be equal. If their eyes are on you, okay, they, they want, they, they, they're observing how you um, interact with people. They're inter- they, they see how you, how you interact, say, with elderly people. Uh, children see if you're the type of father that uh, if uh, the store clerk gives you uh, an extra dollar and change, would you return that dollar back to the store for things like so, I mean, yeah, their eyes on, on, on guys that, and they should always strive to be heroes. So you're right. So uh, a woman is basically, if, if men are the standard of society, and they, if she sees a particular standard, it's says, hmm, that's what these guys are doing, but she's just going to basically follow suit. She's just going to follow suit because mm-hmm. uh, these guys are not setting a standard that she wants to Right, Robert. That's exactly right. And let me just throw this at you too, because here's what I also know. And and I, I you you use that term hero, and I sometimes hear guys say, "Well, we need to be heroes." I don't think guys need to be hero. I think guys need to kind of get rid of the hero complex because hero is is an unrealistic standard that I think sometimes men that you guys set for yourself. And I always, you know, there used to be a book, and I know you remember this. It was called "Hero Ain't Nothing But a Sandwich." And I was a kid, and I remember seeing that hero ain't nothing but a sandwich. And I, when I have discussions with men, I always say, listen, you guys sometimes hold yourselves to unrealistic standards. And when you do, you'll certainly fall much shorter than what you wanted to aspire to you. So I don't think that men should hold themselves to a hero standard. But what I would say that men can or maybe should want to consider is don't hold yourself to a hero standard. That's not real. That, that ain't nothing but a sandwich. But hold yourself to like you've been pointing out the whole time in the book, hold yourself to that super ego. Hold yourself to guess what? If you are a man of God, hold yourself to the standard of the Lord and what the Bible says. Now, let's say that you're you're a guy who don't have a Christian background or belief or creed. But you know what? There is a thing called also just morals and empathy and integrity. And I think if men can hold themselves like women ought to hold themselves, then I think, Robert, we would be in a much better place in society. But I, I will say this. I believe also, just to point out something you said earlier, and I wanted to really come back to that before our time starts getting short, Um, uh, because I do want you to just kind of wrap it all up maybe in the next uh, 10, 15 minutes. But one of the things I do want to point out, something you mentioned, is that you you were saying how, you know, the society have taken this turn, you know, where women were perceived, let's just say, as, you know, June Cleaver, right? We all remember, leave it to Beaver, right? And you had June and you had Ward. But what I've always suspected, 
Robert, and, and, and I'm, I hate to say this, but I'm looking at things that I know in my family, not my immediate family, but things I know about in the past with relatives who have, you know, they're not, these people are now dead and gone. But what I feel is, I feel the reason why, like you say, the cultural shift have happened and uh, the Marxist culture is being able to attract women and even men sometimes to this um, is because I don't know if June Cleaver ever existed. I think women, there was a time in society where women had to pretend, where women had to act as if. And I think, you know, so many times my grandmother used to say, bless and rest, God bless and rest her soul. If it doesn't come out in the wash, if it doesn't come out in the rinse, it'll come out in the wash, which means I think, uh, Robert, the, the the reason that, as you're saying, this this change, the shift in society, th- there's always been something, as you mentioned, a pot boiling. I don't think the pot just started boiling now. I think the pot has been boiling since going back to the 50s, the 40s, the 30s, the 20s. I think it's always been there. But here's the deal. As you said, there, there I do agree with you. There's probably a sect of society that's saying, listen, how can we capitalize off of that? How can we capitalize off of a black person's pain? How can we capitalize off of a white man's pain? People act like white men don't have pain. White men do have pain. Uh, how can we capitalize off of women's pain? Everyone has pain in this life. How can we capitalize off of a homosexual, a, a person who's gay? How can we capitalize off their pain? So I think that there's, I agree, a something in society that is saying, how can we capitalize off of it? But I think the fact that there's something there to capitalize off of it should not negate the fact that those pains and those sorrows that we all feel, whether we're black, whether we're white, whether we're straight, whether we're gay, it shouldn't undermine that those pains are real. And maybe we need to all kind of smarten up and figure out how do we address those pains? Yeah. Um, yeah, I that would be communication and, and getting to know uh, an individual uh, much better. That would that would be a start. But real quick, let me just run back to the to, to the concept of hero. Uh, see, my idea of hero is not superhero type stuff. Okay, not Batman, Superman, you know, <laughs> and none of this. We're not talking about this. We're talking about uh, my idea of a hero, the guy that 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 does what he's supposed to do. Now, maybe we're perhaps saying the same thing, but people people don't really listen to others, but they do imitate others. Now, a father in the house that's hardworking and brings home the bacon, respects his wife and children, uh, that to me is a hero, as opposed to the guy who has come to the house, had four or five kids, and has abandoned his children to fend for themselves. See, the guy that stays, starts, finishes what he starts, to me, that's the hero. Uh, the way an ideal society is set up as far as heroes is that it would start with the father, kid leaves the house, there would be supplemental heroes to basically keep him on the street now. That could be his teachers, that could be a police officer, that could be a fireman. And then you had the, the bigger-than-life heroes, your sports heroes, your scientists, your astronauts, people like that. And I think, see, what, what heroes do is help direct a man towards his ideal self. This is who I would like to be. This is not a, a realistic uh, 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 type, guys, but I think that's built into everybody. I mean, it's kind of, 
kind of the thing with the rite of passages we see in, in, in most societies where kids uh, are put through rite of passages. They look up to somebody who's been through, who's been through something. You know, there's, there's a goal to shoot for. I can make it. You can do it. Just follow what I'm doing. So there had to be some standards, some, some person to basically help mold this guy into uh, what he is supposed to be. Now, unfortunately, in this day of age, our heroes have gone the opposite way, and they're not people. You're right. I mean, that, that, that story you read about that heroes with the family, they might be talking about guys like the NFL, NBA players who, who, have, who, who don't want that, um, that label hero, okay? They, uh, rather than a guy that, um, uh, you know, pitches nine innings in a game, uh, a, good, a, good, a, good, a good analogy is this guy, Philip Rivers, who plays for charge. He's got like about seven, eight children. He's a, he's a good Catholic guy. He doesn't curse. That type of stuff. He's a good, good, good family man. Okay, and For many people, that is the model of a hero. Whether he's black, white, or red. So, yeah, I want to be like the with his wife. He's raising his children. He's a part of the family. So on so forth. As opposed to a guy that is seen in the strip club at two or three in the morning, shooting himself with a gun. Uh, you know, he's got to be resuscitated with Narcan because he's overdosed. These are our sports heroes. These are the people that we really we used to look up to, but they don't they don't want that role. They don't want that role, and that's kind of sad because kids do look up to that sort of tertiary level hero as somebody that, that can help them guide themselves towards their ideal self. That, that's a perspective. So, you know, hero, to me, is more than just a sandwich. I think it's a reality, and I think most men should assume the role, because society does better when people do, um, when men do what they're supposed to do, you know, raise their families, support their families, look out for a neighbor's children, be peacemakers in the neighborhood, or hold and die. I think that, that, that everybody benefits with that type of guy, as opposed to the, the hellraiser, the guy who's in and out of jail, uh, so, uh, you folks can't rely upon him. That's the breakdown of society. That, that, that's the end here. We don't need him. Now, Robert, let me ask you a question. Robert, let me ask you a question, because we're about to get into our red flag. I don't want to end the conversation here. Do you got about 30 more minutes that you can hang out? Yes, ma'am. Okay, what I'm going to do is this. Let me stop right here. Uh, we're going to see Robert on the other side. So, guys, listen, I'm gonna we're going to give about 30 more minutes uh, for our discussion for Robert. So, Robert, let me just sign you off for a hot minute. I'm going to go ahead and wrap this segment up, and then we're going to come right back with another 30-minute. We'll make it as an addendum, right, to this fifth and final episode uh, discussing Riddle of Oz, written by author Robert A. St. Thomas. So, Robert, you sit tight. Hold on. I'm going to go ahead and wrap this segment because I'm getting into the red the red zone here, the red flag zone here, and we'll pick it up on the other side in about 30 more minutes, okay? All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to Bold Talk Radio. I'm your Pat. Your, I am, I'm actually, yeah, I am your Pat, but I'm also your host. I'm your host, Pat Williams. Until next time, I'll see you.